welcome to Queers & Co, the podcast on self-empowerment, body liberation and activism for queer folks and allies. I'm your host, Jem Kennedy. My pronouns are they, them, and I'm a transformational practitioner and coach living in the UK. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of Queers & Co. This week, my guest is someone whose work I followed for quite some time and the things, which will come clear shortly, the things they produce in their work have made a really big impact on how I work and sort of building my, well, all kinds of things, building self-confidence, building the path for how I want my work to look and also, oh, just so many things. <laughs> um, and we talk a bit about that during the podcast. So I will introduce you to them and I really hope that you enjoy listening to them and just if you aren't familiar with their work that you go and check it out. I say this every episode but I genuinely mean it because I really love all of my guests and I think that the things they have to share are so great so I really do encourage you to check out my guests work Uh, otherwise I wouldn't have invited them on the podcast. So let me tell you a bit about my guests today. So they are a queer artist and an author living in Southern California. They enjoy archaic crafts, nature walks and fashion. They believe storytelling is a beautiful tool for healing from trauma and they've been a witch since 2001 and started reading tarot in 2003. I'm very excited to introduce you to Cedar McLeod. Hi, Cedar. Thanks for joining me. Hi. It's so great to be here. Yeah, it's really nice to have you here. And um, it would be great if you could introduce yourself just to kick us off. Sure. Um, My name is Cedar McLeod, and I currently publish all of my work under the name Numinous Spirit Press, which is named after my first tarot deck, the Numinous Tarot. I'm a deck creator. I illustrate and write the guidebooks for them. Um, And I also write fantasy novels. Awesome. Thank you so much. And um, I was really excited when I asked you to be a guest. I didn't know if you'd say yes, but I was really (laughs) excited because I have uh, the Numinous Tarot deck and it's the first deck that I got and I've just found it so, so helpful. So um, yeah, I'm really excited to find out more about your work and to chat about the different decks as well. Yeah, wonderful. Great. So um, maybe we should just jump straight in with the deck then, because I think the thing that I found so uh, refreshing and, and just really liberating around the Numinous deck was that, um, I mean, you talk about it on your website as being a radical deck and that it's gender neutral. Um, and I'd love to hear how it came about, first of all. Sure. Yeah. Um, I've been reading tarot since I was like 13 years old and I'm 30 now. So uh, it's been quite a while. And I always wanted to make a deck. Uh, and what happened was right after college, I, I, I came to a point where I had no idea what I wanted to draw. I was a little burnt out. Um, I was in a place of transition, of, of healing from a lot of past traumas. My artwork that I made while I was at school was much darker than the artwork you see in the deck. Um, mm-hmm. There was a lot more blood and, and crying and things like that. And I was just like, what, what do I do now? And doing a tarot deck gave me themes to work with. It gave me images. And so then it began. Uh, Tarot has always been really important to me for exploring myself and my healing. So, and so is painting. And it was like bringing the two of those together. Yeah. And how do you even, so you kind of know that you want to, to create a deck and what is the process? Like, because the, um, the descriptions of all of the cards are so detailed and they're so, I don't know, they feel so intuitive, but how, how does that process work? 
So my deck is mainly based off of the Rider Waite Smith uh, iconography, the the mm-hmm. classic tarot that most people think of, and it was a, a matter of sort of looking at those images and all of the the symbolism in them, the descriptions from other books, other decks that I had, and making it my own. A lot of it came from my own spiritual explorations um, with my own uh, working with spirits and deity and dreaming and things like that. So I just brought all of those symbols, which I had been exploring in my artwork for years, uh, and combined them into the symbolism, the traditional symbolism of tarot. Yeah. And I guess the thing that really appealed to me about your deck was, well, a few things. First of all, the fact that it has like a social justice lens. So um, all different bodies are represented in the deck, for example, and um, it's not kind of a, a love and light deck where you're, there's no spiritual bypassing going on. Um, <laughs> it's very much about, you know, this is what, you know, things things are hard and um, oppression exists, all those kinds of things that have, until that point, I'd never come across in another deck that I'd seen. Um, and also I think the fact that it was gender neutral because as a non-binary person, it made me feel really uncomfortable that um, there was like the king and it was... Yeah, it just felt very heavily gendered with like feminine and masculine energy. And um, yeah, I wondered if that was something that, how that came about. Did you kind of actively decide that was something or did it kind of emerge as you were creating the deck? It definitely emerged. Um, During the time I was creating the deck, I um, also was still figuring out my non-binary identity. I had previously come out as a trans man when I was in college, um, but... By the time I was working on the deck, so between 2013 and 17, I had come to realize that wasn't really accurate. And at first, I was calling the cards like queen, king, etc. But it just came to me that I was like, this, this isn't quite, this isn't really what I want. You know, mm-hmm. um, I was more than anything creating the deck that I would want to use, like my dream deck. You know, at first I didn't have any real intention of selling it or anything. I didn't know if people would be interested. Wow. Um, so, but but it was around the time that, because I was posting the images on Tumblr over the years, um, it was around the time that people started to take notice that I was like, you know, I really want to lean into this. I really want to make it my dream deck because it seems like that's something that other people want too. Mm-hmm. And just having the community that I had started finding around that time online of um, especially like Little Red Tarot and Beth Maiden and everybody sort of in those circles was so encouraging that I could break out of those more traditional uh, names, symbols, et cetera, and really just go all the way with what I personally wanted to see in it. Yeah. And so it sounds almost like a, um, what's the word? I don't know if this is the right word. I'm thinking like a reciprocal process where you're kind of bringing and exploring gender in the deck, but also exploring it yourself at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. Like I I said, artwork for me has always been um, a way of exploring of my feelings, myself. When you put it down on the paper and you see, see it reflected back at you, it just it brings up a lot of truths that maybe are hard to verbalize. What has creativity or what role has creativity played 
in your life. Um, you said that you started reading tarot at 13, for example, but um, you mentioned on your website, storytelling is um, a beautiful tool for healing trauma. And yeah, I guess I'm just interested to know like at what point that creativity came in and, and what that's looked like in different forms. Yeah, I, I was really lucky to grow up in a family that despite its other downsides was very creative. Um, both of my grandmothers were artists. One of them was a professional artist mm -hmm. and my mother was a graphic designer. So, uh, creativity was very much encouraged. I, from, you know, from a young age, which is drawing and drawing and, and scribbling, and around middle school, 11 or so, I decided I wanted to really learn how to draw. I had actually, I had discovered anime and manga. And so uh -huh. that got me into like, oh, I, you know, I want to draw. And I, ever since I was very little, you know, when I would lay in bed trying to fall asleep, which was really hard for me, even as a kid, I've, I've always had insomnia um, due to high anxiety. And mm -hmm. I would lay there and I would imagine stories of like, I, I've always been a big fantasy reader. And so I would imagine my own stories in my head as I tried to go to sleep and art, I realized when I was, when I was 11, I was like, oh, well, I could draw this. I could, you know, make it come alive and I could write, I could write a book and just put it all out on the paper. So I started doing that. And as a teenager, it really became um, an escape for me while my home life was, was pretty uh, chaotic. It was very up and down. There was a lot of really traumatic moments throughout those years and it was just an escape for me to be able to go back to my room and either draw something, draw a character to create these alternate worlds and these alternate people whose lives I could play with and imagine myself being part of instead. Yeah, that sounds so powerful and so helpful during a really difficult time as well. And ultimately, uh, all of the things that I was dealing with would come out on the paper Uh not intentionally, usually. These days, it's, mm -hmm. I'm a little more aware of it. And so usually it's more intentional. But when I was younger, it was completely subconscious. And mm -hmm. I would write something, I would draw the characters. And I would, I would, when I would finish, I would look back at it and say, Oh, you know, like, they're going through something that I'm going through. And it would help, you know, helping the characters work through something would help me work through the same thing. Yeah. And would you say that you still, you said you're sort of more intentional with that now. Do you still use that method as kind of working through stuff or are there other ways that you might deal with healing or processing of things? It's definitely both. Um, I am more intentional within including those personal things in my writing and in my drawing these days. Um, but, uh, you know, there's also, I've, I've been in therapy for years and years still doing that. It's, you know, still an unfolding process constantly. There's my my tarot practice, which mm -hmm. uh, I mostly use these days for reflection. For me, you know, pulling a card at the start of the day to sort of like, here's how the day's going to go. That can make me really anxious, actually. Um, especially if, you know, sort of a, a more negative card comes up. And mm -hmm. so instead, I, I prefer to use the cards to look back on the day or to ask myself, you know, how do I really feel about this? Why do I feel this way? Or why am I having this dream or this nightmare? Uh, rather than looking forward or things of that nature. Yeah, that's so interesting. I've actually never done, um, I've never pulled cards thinking about what lies ahead in terms of my day. Maybe, maybe in life, I guess I have. But um, 
yeah, I definitely agree with you in that sort of using it as a retrospective practice or to think about something that's going on at the moment. I can see, for example, I just imagine pulling the eight of bells and then having a really anxious like day thinking what's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. That's that's exactly how my mind would work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so you have all of these other decks that have come up since then. And um, I wonder what the process has been with those, whether you've noticed that um, different decks have come about because of different life experiences or, um, yeah, just really what, what it's been like creating the other ones. It has been different, um, if only because the Numinous deck I began when I still had a full-time and then part-time day job. So it took like four years to create. Mm-hmm. And that's a long period of time to be to be creating something, considering it as a whole. And now my newest two decks that came out this year, they were each created in a few months. <laughs> One of them, the, the Threadbound Oracle, goes with the fantasy novel that I published alongside of it, The Thread That Binds. It I create I actually created it to exist in the story because it's a fantasy story set in a, a secondary world. And I wanted one of the characters to be a tarot reader, but I was like, I can't just put, you know, the tarot in a completely different fantasy world. Let me m- make up their own system that's very similar. Amazing. So I, I made that up for the story. And then I was like, well, of course it should be a real deck. Let me draw it. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. So it actually came after having written the story rather than like parallel or, or before. It was sort of a mixture because at the time I had written the story as a comic script. I used to, I had a web comic for a number of years called Ignition Zero. Uh, that's still up at ignitionzero.com. People can read it for free. Great. But um I realized during this process of writing that comic script and beginning to draw it, I drew like 70 pages of it as a comic um, while I was creating the deck that it was really, it was a really long story. And the script was for like 800 page comic, which would have taken me like 10 years to make. (laughs) And I was like, I can't do this. I'm going to write it as a novel instead. (laughs) So I, by the time that I started the novel version of it, the, the deck illustrations were complete. And so they began sort and the, they began influencing one another because the characters are the ones who appear on the cards as well. So mm-hmm. I had to sort of make sure the story, even as it was changing format and whatnot, I had to make sure it still matched with the deck. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like a really intricate kind of complicated project. Yeah, I I really like projects that are intricate and complicated, which is probably why I've ended up making tarot decks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> my it's hard, you know, it's hard for me to to work in short projects or to write short stories. I just love taking everything to such a, a full, huge, detailed place. It's it's just such a fun place to be in my mind and and to spend hours doing. Yeah, that's amazing. I wish that I had, I don't know, I, I guess I wish that I could access that um, sort of long-term concentration. I think I find it hard to focus on on something for such a long period of time without kind of moving on to something else. So I really, really admire that. Um, and also it makes me think of these, uh, so a project that you did last year and that you've just mentioned that you're doing again this year where you um, did a hundred um, I can't remember what you called it. Sorry. It's a hundred paintings across a hundred days, isn't it? But what's yeah. the proper name for it? The the whole movement or project is the 100 day project that okay. um, is 
hosted online. I can't remember the the host's name at the moment, but if you search the 100 day project, all of her, her work comes up. And the idea is just that you do, uh, you pick a thing, it could be anything and you do it every day for a hundred days. And it's supposed mm-hmm. to be something fairly simple, like five to 20 minutes max. And last year, what I did was uh, abstract, little abstract watercolor paintings, just to sort of break out of my usual detailed work and try something a little more freeing, which which it totally was. And mm. doing a hundred of something really forces you to, of the same thing really forces you to explore and push the boundaries. Like, very quickly within a few weeks, I was like running out of color combinations. And I was like, Oh, what am I going to do? So it doesn't keep repeating itself too much. And yeah. I had to come up with little tricks and things to, to get myself to try like color combinations and techniques that I normally wouldn't use. Yeah. And then this year, I mean, you turn, you turned that project into a deck. That's mm-hmm. the uncertain, um, the uncertain Oracle. Yeah. And so you've mentioned that the next project that you've got coming up, you'll be turning into the Dreamwalker Oracle as well. Yeah, I'm trying to use this, the 100 day project framework as a method of exploration to let myself do things that I normally wouldn't that feel a little more fun or like play, which I think is really important to any creative practice, but especially a creative practice that's also work, that's also for me, my my income, because Mm -hmm. that pressure can sometimes have a a negative effect on the creative process, right? Where you're sitting there and you're like, oh, you know, I need to paint something, but it needs to be commercial enough. It needs to be sellable. You know, what will people think of it? And having that space to play, even though now I'm like, (laughs) clearly like, oh, well, it'll exist as a deck one day, but (laughs) (laughs) it's not meant to be a a main major project. And if it didn't, you know, work out, it it wouldn't bother me too much. But Mm -hmm. Because it's such a quick process, I can create one of those images in like 15 or 20 minutes. It's just a space where I, I can do something new and and poke around for a bit and share it with other people. I really enjoy sharing the the creative process, my process with other people, because I want there to be transparency around the creative process and how it's not all this perfect just like it comes out, you have it in your brain and it comes out on the paper and it's like magic. Uh, It's, you know, there's a lot more experimentation and you can do whatever you like. And sometimes things don't work out. Like there are paintings from last year's hundred day project, which didn't make it into the uncertain Oracle, which I just hate (laughs) some of those paintings. (laughs) I just look at them. I'm like, Oh, this is so bad. I hate this one. (laughs) Oh, wow. But that's so interesting. And I know your patrons um, or your patrons voted for them. And I wonder if there were any that they voted for that you really didn't like. They did actually. I, I picked uh, the first 50 cards for the deck. And then I said, here, here's the other 50 pick, pick two of them. And put up a poll for it. And people did vote for some that I wasn't expecting, which I was like, oh, I hope that one doesn't win. (laughs) (laughs) And do you think you would have included it if it had one? Yeah, I probably would have because, you know, I want to be honest where that's, I said, you know, pick the one you like and I'll put it in. And if it's like, you know, everyone has different tastes and, you know, something I might look at a painting and say, oh, I hate that. But other people look at it and they say, no, that's really beautiful. So there's, it's really, it's really interesting to include that in the process and just get other people's eyes and opinions to 
maybe get you to change your perspective or take a second look. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess when you're, when you are kind of um, earning a living from that kind of work, also maybe you get into thinking, you know, these are the things that people want from me and they might feel, I know you mentioned earlier, this kind of pressure to create things that are commercial and that people would buy. Um, But I wonder if that's helpful as a way to find, to find out what people may like that you wouldn't normally create or that you wouldn't normally think about selling. Yeah, there's definitely a balance to including other people's opinions in my work because I don't want to be frozen or, you know, moving away from doing what I I like because I find that if I'm excited about what I'm making, that other people, that that translates to how other people feel about it, that they'll be excited about what I'm making. Um, But on the other hand, like you were saying, as, you know, a commercial thing, as a thing to support me, uh, it is good to know what other people are thinking so that I can, can, I can explore alternate avenues. And you never know, like something I might have turned away from at first might end up being, uh, you know, I might end up enjoying it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess um, one of the things that really has been helpful for me with the numinous deck. I don't have the others yet, but they're on my plan, <laughs> in my plan of things to to get. But um thinking about how much that's helped me with my own work and with my own activism, I wonder what are the things that you use to help yourself, whether it's with your um with your creativity or with the kind of work that you do and its wider meaning in terms of the activism and the message that it puts out. I so when I was in college, I worked with uh, student groups a lot or as uh, a member of like the board, usually um, running our, our queer student union. Uh, a friend and I co-founded a group for trans students. And I also worked with Active Minds, which is an organization that deals with mental health advocacy. And so that was sort of a foundation for me before I started with Tarot, a more direct approach of learning and talking to people and, you know, like hosting panels or having meetings and just sitting around in a group and sharing experiences with people and learning from people. Uh, And then after that, Tumblr was actually a really good place for me to learn for a while because there's just so many different voices and uh, just telling me all these new things I hadn't considered before. And that was how the Numinous deck ended up being as diverse as it is, because I, there were so many people saying, you know, like we don't see these body types, they're so white, there's all of these different things. And I was like, I didn't even notice some of that sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I think just listening, just finding places to listen has been really important for me and my, the activism side of my work to, to be able to incorporate what people are looking for or to know where to address problems that might not be visible to me right away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm thinking about um, another episode that I recorded. It came out today, actually, with um, Jay DeLuise. And she talks about her experience in the episode of um, essentially a lot of spiritual bypassing from the spiritual community, uh, particularly during the summer of last year, 2020, around the Black Lives Matter protests. Um, She's a black woman and um, she's also queer and fat. And she said that her 
her experience was actually really disappointing in how um, some of the spiritual community that were surrounding her really weren't willing to get engaged or weren't willing to kind of step forward. Um, and I wonder what what it's been like for you kind of having an awareness of social justice and also being involved in spiritual community. Have you found that that hasn't really been an issue in the communities that you're in or is that something that comes up from time to time? I'm really lucky. I feel that the communities that I'm part of are largely radical communities. And so they have an eye for all for the issues and for being very inclusive. But there there are things occasionally, um, but I and and sometimes things come across my radar with the, the spiritual bypassing, especially. I have definitely seen a good bit bit of that. Um for me, I think what strikes strikes me in that area is when it comes to uh, mental health and and trauma rather than my other identities like being non-binary and being queer Mm -hmm. there are some there are some things that just really really set me off and really upset me sometimes in the spiritual community around that yeah and would you be happy to say a bit more about that sure I really believe that acknowledging our pain is incredibly important to healing And sometimes out there, there's a lot of, I can, when I was younger, I I was very much of the the mindset that like, oh, everything happens for a reason, even the bad stuff. And it gave me a lot of comfort to think like, even though this horrible thing happened to me, there must be a reason that it happened. But now when I look back after many years of therapy and learning to love myself and seeing that a lot of what happened to me as a child was not in my control and wasn't my fault. I'm like, that's kind of sad, you mm. know, to think that, uh, that my, the abuse that I suffered as a child was somehow meant to be, or meant to teach me a spiritual lesson or something like that. And I'm like, I don't think I'm a better, more evolved person for being abused. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think I I'm lucky. I can learn lessons from it. I can grow as a person from my experience, but the idea that it was some that it was set ahead of time as some sort of cosmic plan kind of upsets me. <laughs> yeah. And there's something in in thinking about it like that that kind of implies that people who haven't had that experience are somehow more evolved or somehow better and didn't, you know, didn't and this isn't I don't think this. I'm just thinking about when I've experienced that kind of mentality in the past. There's almost like um oh well you know maybe that person needed to experience it i'm i'm more evolved already i don't need to go through those kinds of things yeah exactly yeah and that's really painful yeah and I, unfortunately i i see it here and there luckily as i said most of the communities i'm really involved with though uh tend to be more in my line of thinking and i'm very grateful to have that sort of community support around me yeah and for people who yeah I I think it makes me think of people who are maybe wanting to explore spirituality but feel like it's not or have felt historically like it's not for them because they've experienced spiritual bypassing or um you know spaces feel very gendered or any of those kinds of things is there anything that you would say that might help people kind of ease into that or where they might go to explore those kinds of things it's hard to say where to go these days with the, the internet feels like such a big mess now. I don't feel like there's any, 
there's, there's, there, it's hard to, because everything is on, you know, Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. I feel like it's more difficult to find very specific centered groups. Mm-hmm. Um, but that said, there, there are a lot of people out there who are really taking into consideration marginalized experiences when it comes to groups for healing, groups for spirituality. And I, I wish there was a more centralized way to find them, but they're just, they're out there. So I guess my advice would be if you, you find a community and you really feel deeply uncomfortable with it, or you feel erased, there's another one out there for you. You know, it might be better to, to leave the one that doesn't center you and search for another one. Yeah. And you mentioned the communities that you exist within are pretty, they're all kind of, um, and this is my interpretation, kind of thinking about social justice issues, for example. Um, and I wonder what what it means to you to be in those spaces, to kind of um, be in spaces where things aren't heavily gendered or where different marginalized identities are accounted for and kind of thought of. It means so much to me because it means that I don't have to translate everything into my own experience. It means I don't have to have sort of a constant background anxiety about not being understood. It means I don't have to worry that I'm going to have to explain my identity or my existence to someone who might be resistant to having that explained to them, that I can sort of just relax and be myself and trust that other folks who are around me have similar values. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, well, for lots of people who are in marginalized communities, it's huge, isn't it? Having access to people who are similar and you're, there's no kind of explaining. There's just like a baseline understanding that this is like the starting point and you can move on from there rather than having these very kind of basic introductory conversations about what gender is or um, yeah, what oppression is, those kinds of things. Yeah, you can just be so much more casual. You can joke about it. <laughs> All of the things that that foster a deeper connection. Totally. Hey, folks, just popping in with your episodely reminder uh, to take a pause and also to have a drink. And while you do that, I just wanted to share a really helpful breathing technique that I love to do. It's something I learned when I was training to be an EFT practitioner, and I use it quite often with my clients and also on myself. Um, just a couple of words about it before we get started. If you're someone who finds it difficult to close your eyes or finds that too kind of um, inwardly focused, then you're very welcome to keep your eyes open and just look around the room, the space that you're in. But if you wanted to have that moment of kind of going inward and just bringing your mind inside your body, then closing your eyes whilst you're doing this can feel really good. But again, it's whatever you're comfortable with. So I just invite you to notice wherever you are in the space, perhaps you're sitting or standing or laying down, wherever is completely fine. And then just putting your right hand over your heart and then your left hand on top of your right hand. And if it feels good, you can push both of your hands gently in to your chest. It can really help with regulating, but if that doesn't feel comfortable, then just hold them there lightly. And in your own time, just taking a deep breath in for the count of six and exhaling for the count of six as well. So the in and the out breath are nice and even. 
And on the next in breath again, in for six, but this time you can imagine breathing into your heart, so into the space around your chest. And just imagine that expanding as you breathe in and then breathing out for six again. And if you want to develop it further, something I really love to do is imagine breathing into your heart, so that area expanding and breathing in a sense of peace, relaxation, whatever it is that you want to bring in. And then breathing out whatever it is that you don't want to have as much of. So it could be stress, it could be anxiety, anything else. So just breathing in a sense of calm or relaxation and breathing out any tension, stress or anxiety. And you can take as many breaths as you like. If you want to pause the audio so you can carry on going, then do that. But it's something that I find really helpful and I use it lots so I hope that you find it useful and now I'll let you get back to my interview with Cedar. And if it doesn't feel too personal to ask I wondered um, how your gender identity has evolved over time. You mentioned that you used to identify as being a trans man and actually over the years um, that kind of developed into other identities. Yeah I think it's largely it's fluctuated so much gosh when I was a little kid I think I, I was a tomboy, quote unquote, um, and I, I don't really think I had a concept of having a gender very much. Then puberty hit, as it does, and <laughs> expectations were placed upon me, as they are. And mm. But I also do like feminine things, so it wasn't entirely uncomfortable. But by the time I hit my late, twe- late teens, I was kind of like, mm, mm, I don't know, I don't know. And it was actually in my writing process and like writing from the perspective of other genders of like male characters where I was like, Hmm, this feels interesting and different. And thank at that point, the internet was ramping up a little more and social media was starting to exist. It was like the late two thousands, like 2006, eight. That's when I graduated high school. And, uh, it, there were there I was starting to get access to more terms and information that I hadn't heard before. I, you know, I met my first like trans friend at the time. And uh, this whole new world was opened up to me just from getting that information that there were people out there who who could you could just do whatever you wanted, <laughs> basically. <laughs> And I was like, this, this feels right for me. So I started exploring it and I, I held off on sort of like coming out more socially, more visibly until I got to college, which is a, you know, a great time to be able to reinvent yourself when, you know, you're Mm -hmm. living away at the dorms and everything on your own. And I started, you know, wearing men's clothes and I cut my hair short and was just, you know, wearing a binder and things like that. I, at the time I thought maybe, maybe I'm gender fluid. Maybe I'm bi-gender, like both a man and a woman. I knew folks at the time who were gender queer and I had a friend who described themselves as uh, an androgyny, but none of them at the time, it didn't feel like a word that suited me. Most of them seemed focused on appearance wise on what we think of as maybe traditional androgyny where it's sort of like a more masculine lean of dress and like a flat chest and like basically covering up any potential 
like uh, sex attributes like beards or breasts or or things like that. And that's not really what I I wanted, like not an absence of like what we think of as masculine and feminine. I really just wanted both of them at the extreme ends at the same time. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but but so because because I had been uh female assigned at birth and like raised as a woman and I had these feelings about wanting these more masculine things like a facial hair or a deeper voice and whatnot, I thought, well, maybe, maybe I'm a trans man then. And, you know, that felt like something. It felt better than um my assigned gender. And so I started living that way. Uh, for a while, I went on testosterone for a few years, and that alleviated some dysphoria I had about my voice, for example. Um, but, but, but after a few years, I was just kind of like, this still doesn't feel like exactly right to me. And that was around the time that I was on Tumblr a lot, and people were starting to use the word non-binary. There were people posting, I've seen even more photos of other people who were non-binary, genderqueer, gender fluid, who were embodying the sort of like the look that I really wanted. I was like, oh, again, it, it was another moment where like, oh, wait, this is possible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and so That's then so it, cool. it became just like playing around again and going back in a direction, a feminine direction, which felt more comfortable now that. It's like, well, uh, you know, I have a deeper voice or a little bit of facial hair. And, but now, so if I wear a dress with that, it's like, oh, wow, this feels really great. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's so cool to kind of be able to navigate through trying out the different um, aspects and then kind of finding this almost, yeah, I really loved where you said like both of the extremes and also being somewhere in the middle. Not that there is like a continuum, but yeah. um, I don't know. Yeah, it just feels like a really cool place to land in i like to i like to use the metaphor that if you say like uh male female is like a a spectrum on a line right then and it's like red and blue and then in the middle mm-hmm. you have purple that my gender is green that's cool <laughs> <laughs> that it's just completely somewhere outside of that <laughs> yeah and I really love that idea, actually, of thinking of gender in terms of colour, because it's much more nuanced, isn't it? Rather than um, there can be so much more blending rather than just using words. Yeah, especially if you, you think of like a colour wheel, especially the sort you might find in like Photoshop or something, right? Just that huge yeah. rainbow with, uh, you know, that goes that goes around all the way around. And then you have like lighter and darker shades. And it feels like that feels like maybe a better model for <laughs> for for thinking about gender than a line. Yeah, it really does. That feels really good to me, like thinking about it in that way, because otherwise there's such a need to like plot yourself within. It's almost, yeah, it just feels technical and kind of not quite expressive enough. Yeah, it really opens it up. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, So also thinking about the future. I know that you recently got engaged. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds, um, well, it looked, the pictures look beautiful of where you were when it actually happened. It was very beautiful. I had picked out the spot a year ago <laughs> Oh wow! <laughs> when we, we went for a hike last year on New Year's. Uh, mm-hmm. We're lucky that Southern California has, it has such a beautiful coastline. It's so gorgeous, as, as you can see in the, in the photos. And at at the time last year, I had just moved to Los Angeles to be with my partner. And I wouldn't have done that 
if I hadn't thought like, this is a very serious commitment, you know, that I see us being together for a very long time in the future. But I told myself, let me wait until I've lived here a year to actually say something. (laughs) (laughs) And, and I did. And he was very surprised, but he, it was very funny. He said, he said, what about 30 times and sat on the ground, (laughs) (laughs) but it was on a, it was on a very beautiful cliff overlooking the sea and the water was all green and, and it, the sun was out and even though it's January, you know, it's like 70 degrees out. <laughs> <laughs> That's so lovely. And do you have, um, do you have plans of when you might get married or are you kind of hoping to just very much enjoy being engaged for now? We're going to, we're waiting to make too many plans because we want to wait until the pandemic has passed and it's safe for everyone to travel we're both originally from the East Coast of the U.S. And then I've also lived in Seattle. So and we, we both have friends who are just all over the country and most of them would have to fly in. So we want to make sure that it's it's going to be safe for everybody to do so. But uh, as a, a friend of ours put who's already married, he was like, you know what? Just take your time. <laughs> take your time with the planning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's so exciting. And um, also, we're what day is it today? Thursday. Yeah, so yesterday was the day that um, Biden became president in the US. And I wonder if, you, if you've noticed that there's been any kind of shift in terms of like how people are feeling about things. Um, because I know friends in the US who have been incredibly scared throughout the Trump administration. Yeah, I, I'm not sure about a more collective shift yet. I've been staying off social media this week um, for mental health reasons. Mm -hmm. And although I do sort of like read like the major headlines and a few articles in the morning just to make sure that I'm, I'm kept up a little bit, Mm -hmm. but there, there's, it's hard to say because in my circles that are a little more radical, there's a lot of talk of like, mixed feelings because we're, people are like, oh, well, we know this this new presidency isn't perfect, but we're really glad mm-hmm. that the old one is gone. And for, for me, though, it's just sort of been a huge relief to, and even a, a shock to read my sort of like digest times email. And it's like, you know, things are, are being planned or being done where it's like, oh, wait, we're back to you know, recognizing that immigrants are humans <laughs> and and that are, that are people with rights and and just even the most basic modicum of respect for the environment. And mm. it's just like such a relief that even if it isn't quite as, as radical as a lot of us would like for change, that it, for, yeah, for me, there is a lot of relief with, with the change happening and the old presidency, the old administration being on its way out. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so, it's such a weird space to be in, in that things feel in comparison, it sounds progressive, but actually, as you say, like it's not progressive enough. Yeah. It's baby steps, I suppose. Yeah. And I wonder what your, um, when you think about your work in terms of where, where it may lead you in future. And obviously I know that we we can't all know where we're going to end up, but thinking about uh, the work that you've done so far and the kind of circles that that work supports, because it must support an awful lot of people doing their own their own activism. I know it really supports me. Um, but where do you think you might like to end up? Do you have like a further sort of vision of where you're working towards or um, what projects might come in future? 
not I don't have a, a big view of the future. It feels so uncertain at the moment, and like like you said, it's it's uh, it's just a little hard to see. But mm-hmm. I do intend to continue making decks, which, like you were saying, I view as their tools for other people to use uh, in their own practice and their own spiritual journey or in their activism even. And I feel like that's, for me at the moment, at least that that's the way that I contribute to uh, the, the activist sphere is by creating a tool for people to use. Because back when I did more direct activism with my student groups, I really got burnt out. I'm, I have quite a lot of social anxiety and uh, tend to take on a lot of other people's emotions. Mm-hmm. And so I have found that by by playing to my strengths with my artwork and and creating that i feel like i can affect change better and more easily by creating tools for others to use and so i want to keep doing that yeah amazing and do you have contact with people who are kind of using your your work do people do people give you feedback and do you hear lots of um you know what what it's helping them with i do it's so lovely people send me emails telling me sometimes they're short and they just, you know, uh, the most common message is, you know, I'm so happy that I found your deck that I can see myself in as, you know, like as a trans person, as a fat person, as a disabled person. And that just, it makes me so happy. And it, it helps me keep going, you know, at those, there's always a moment where you doubt yourself and say like, you know, is this doing anything? You know, is this really helping people? Uh, Which is something I really believe that I, I I want to do with my life. And so those messages are just, they're so fulfilling. My favorite one uh, was I had somebody email me who works with incarcerated folks and they said they were using my deck to, to, to talk with their, their clients, patients. I'm not sure what the, the proper word would be, um, but that they were using that in their work and with, with such a vulnerable population. And I was like, just stunned by that. That's amazing. It's just, I think I am never, it never ceases to surprise me when I sit down to, to pull a card that the card I pull is, is always really insightful into the situation. And I think that might sound like a really um, obvious thing to say, but I think my, I came to spirituality quite late and I didn't really, because I think I'd never really quite felt like there was anywhere that fit me. Um, when I found the deck, I was just, yeah, I think just constantly surprised that, oh, like it actually knows what, what I was thinking about or, you know, a way to help me with that thing. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's an incredibly powerful tool. And I think people who even might be listening to this and have never explored spirituality or might think that, um, you know, using decks in their work wouldn't be something that might appeal to them. I really would encourage people to give it a try because, it's been really, really helpful for me. I'm so happy to hear that. It's, I think there's something really powerful with, even if you're not a person who believes that the cards are pulling knowledge from like a spiritual etheric sort of space or from other beings outside of our experience, that there is even just a psychological process at work where Sometimes there are things that we really can't verbalize with our words or in our thoughts. And to have the images brought up 
it just triggers all of these these new realizations. And by new, I mean something we, I feel like a, a lot of what tarot tells us is something we already know very deeply inside or that we know through our sort of connections to each other. And it just pulls that out of you in a way that you can, you can see with your conscious mind. And there's just something so powerful about that. Yeah, definitely. And I really like to um, pull a card. I realize actually now that earlier on, I said that I don't tend to pull them for things ahead, but I realize actually that that's not entirely true. Um, Because every month I have a board where I have um, kind of the things that I'm focusing on for that month and sort of lots of different tasks broken down into small things, but then also some headline stuff that's the focus for the month. Um, And then I pull two cards every month around my month, like what do I need to be aware of? Um, What might, you know, what support might I need, whatever it is. And I have those on my board for the whole month. And actually that feels really helpful. And I haven't yet pulled anything that's been, that has given me anxiety because it's always been relevant to something I guess I'm already aware of that I might need to be mindful of for that month. Um, But yeah, like you say, even if it's not that you have the belief of where that knowledge is coming from, even if you think of them as journaling prompts, for example, um, there's still so much value in them. Yeah, absolutely. And I have, I actually have similar practice to what you just said uh, around scheduling your month where uh, I'll pull cards to help give me like an affirmation for the month or Mm -hmm. a question to ask myself throughout the month. Like for January, um, the cards that I pulled ended up with the question, uh, you know, like what matters to me? Like where, what, what motivates me and like what in, in my work, especially. And I think so far with, with everything that's happened to me in my work space this month, that that's been a really crucial question of like making sure that everything is aligned with my, the deeper purpose that I want to put out there. Mm-hmm. And if you had to describe your deeper purpose, what would you say? I'm, I'm, I can imagine that we've already kind of touched on it from what you've said, but do you have it in a kind of, um, is there like a sentence or a way that you would describe it? It's, I think going back to what you, you brought up from my, my bio on my website about storytelling being a tool for deep healing mm-hmm. and that my, I really want to make tools and space and stories for people to see themselves in who might not see themselves otherwise, because that's my experience. And I hope that by sharing that experience and forging those connections with each other, that we can just have happier lives. Yeah. Yeah. That's really beautiful. Um, and every episode, I always ask people to share something that they're loving. It could be a person, a thing, an idea, uh, anything at all. And I just wondered if you had anything that you'd like to share. Yeah, this might sound a little silly, but recently I've been really getting into um, ball joint dolls and Ooh. watching, especially it could be a, as a hobby, it can be very expensive, but something that's very accessible is on YouTube. There are many people who take especially like the Monster High dolls and they give them these huge makeovers and they give them these very beautiful painted faces and redo the hair and design and sew all these adorable little outfits. And there's something so pleasing about it to uh, like my inner child and that feeling that I hadn't felt, you know, in many, many years of 
when you're a child and your toys are like your friends and your confidants and just having them nearby makes you feel a little more secure. Uh, but it's, it's combined with this, these people who do these, these uh, like repaints it are, they're so creative and they're, they're so masterful at their, at their art. And it's just fascinating to watch. Wow, that sounds amazing. I've never heard of that before. And um, <laughs> it makes me think of a couple of weeks ago making a cloak with my daughter and she's nine and she absolutely loves um, making outfits at the moment for her dolls. And my cloak was terrible, but Aww. she was very pleased with it. <laughs> um, yeah, so that sounds like something that she'd really enjoy watching as well. Oh, I bet. Yeah, it's they have, you know, like just time lapses of of painting the faces and sewing all the little ribbons and things. I, I'm sure that a nine-year-old would just adore seeing all of those creations and all of be inspired by the creativity that comes comes out of that community. It's I know um the great thing about like customized dolls, right, is that they can be anything that you want and mm. you don't they don't have to conform to sort of the beauty standards that might be imposed on the larger industry. Yeah. And I love that um hearing you say that my my son has so got a doll who was supposed to be um I guess an AFAB doll and he decided that um their name was James and that they were now a boy. And even just sort of witnessing that that he thought that that was possible and that was something he was aware of and then could bring into play was really magical to see. That's so wonderful. I'm smiling so big right now. That just, it, oh. that just, that just means so much to to hear that, you know, the children today have so much more exposure to, to that sort of thinking. It's just so wonderful. Yeah. And even sometimes my children will correct me because we might see a person in the distance and I'll say, um, that lady, for example, and Emmy will say, how do you know that they're a lady? And <laughs> I, <laughs> it's amazing just, yeah, being able to um, witness your children grow up, growing up in a different paradigm than you existed within. Because yeah, as a child for me, that wouldn't have been something that was discussed. That's so wonderful. <laughs> oh, I want to go and check out all of these ball joint ball joint doll videos now I'm excited yeah, if, um, you, if you just search like monster high repaint or something you'll probably start finding them or uh the channel I've been watching is like doll lightful like delightful but it's doll at the beginning okay awesome I'm gonna and have a look. They're, just, they're just so fascinating and I'm sure that your kids would love it too yeah, thank you. That sounds really great. And for anyone listening, I guess, um, whether you have children or not, like it's that sounds like such a cool thing for, as you said, for your inner child to be to be watching. Yes. <laughs> I didn't really get to be a child when I was a child. And so I'm finding all these ways now to sort of indulge that those feelings and those, you know, try to, to play even as an adult. Yeah. That idea of reparenting I feel like I talk about it quite a lot at the moment but um yeah it's such a powerful process to be able to go back and give yourself the things that maybe you might not have experienced yeah exactly yeah I know um are you familiar with Sophie Hagen they're a Danish comedian no I don't think so oh okay you might you might enjoy their work um they're a fat activist as well and they're just brilliant but they talk about when they went to therapy um and I'm not laughing. It's just, it made me giggle that they went through a stage where they bought everything pink and um, it's a stage that they hadn't been able to experience as a child. So they just ended up filling their their room with pink stuff. Um, yeah, it always comes to mind when I think of reparenting things. 
That's wonderful. I have to look that up. That's yeah. my favorite color now <laughs> is pink at the moment. So <laughs> that's really cool because I have always had a real aversion to pink, but I think it's because it was it's always felt so heavily gendered. I agree. When I was, a, I, I mentioned when I was a little kid, I was more of a tomboy and I was very against anything like super ultra girly. And it's just been sort of wonderful now to indulge in it without boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. Just to enjoy it. That's so cool. <laughs> um, so yeah, maybe my last question is what feels like it's coming next for you? Next is... I'm working on, I feel like a million projects right now. <laughs> There's that, the new uh, 100 days deck. And mm -hmm. I've actually been working on a new tarot deck that's food themed. And what? yes, it's actually mostly done. I only have to do the majors and I've been wow. posting it on my Patreon uh, exclusively for a while. Uh, and, and it's, it's, they're very cute square cards with just like, um, it focuses on like the, like the cups are fruits and the swords are vegetables and the pentacles are grains. And it's just been so much fun to, to, to play around with that. And I, I've had some, quite a few digestive disorder issues in the past. And mm -hmm. so it's fun to sort of to, as a healing tool again, of course, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I love food and I love cooking and that's what's, what I've been working on lately, as well as the uh, prequel novel to The Thread That Binds, which is the novel that goes with the Threadbound Oracle deck. Yeah. Wow, so, you do have a lot going on. <laughs> I do. And I, I, I had, you know, there's like a, a, another two, three deck ideas on the back burner. <laughs> mm. That sounds amazing, particularly with the food deck. I'm really intrigued to like see how that would work. I'm in... Um, yeah, have been in sort of various stages of uh, recovery from eating disorders and food has always been something that's quite challenging for me. So um, I'd be really interested to find out more about like how that would work as a as a practice. Yeah, I I really want it to be accessible to people with who are in eating disorder recovery, who have eating disorders, who have food allergies or restrictions. Mm -hmm. um, because during, for a few years, I was on an extremely restrictive medical diet and it was really, really upsetting. It's mm. food is such an emotional part of our lives. And I feel like that I didn't have anybody to share that with who understood it. And I just, that's probably why it's coming out in my artwork now. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I, I, oh, did, I can't wait. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I did have one. Uh, sorry. I did have one patron who brought up two, like who said they were in eating disorder recovery and we're curious how such a deck might help them in that practice. And as someone who's not had that experience, I, I, I personally can't really imagine what the details might be, but I'm hoping that that might be one way for people to use it for sure. Yeah. And that idea of allergies as well. So quite often people who have history of eating disorders also have food intolerances and, and allergies and obviously digestive related um, conditions or um, yeah conditions so I think yeah that sounds like a really great thing to be able to explore and um, what those different foods symbolize this yeah there's so much there oh yeah and or even uh, uh, maybe a, a more fun application to uh, each card is a single ingredient um, most mm -hmm. of them are it's a vegetarian deck 
because I'm a vegetarian and um, m- most of the cards are, are, I don't want to say whole foods, they're plant foods, you know, yeah. whatnot. But so I feel like it could be fun to try to create recipes by drawing cards. Totally. <laughs> There's so um, much you can do with them. <laughs> and that, that could go good or bad, right? It might end up more like like, <laughs> like chopped, right? Where they have the mystery basket of, of awful ingredients. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have to see what see what comes out. Maybe there'll be a recipe book afterwards. Who knows? I really want the guidebook that accompanies it to be written like a cookbook. I think that Ooh. would be really fun to do and have it be spiral bound and everything. Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. And when do you think that that might be out? Oh, I have no idea at this point. My uh, my plans of my deck releasing schedule got a little, got shifted because of unexpectedly releasing the Uncertain Oracle last year mm-hmm. alongside the Threadbound Oracle. Mm-hmm. And so originally the the food deck, which is called the Stone Soup Tarot after the, the fable. Okay. Um, was I was going to release it this year, but because I had just released two new Oracle decks, I was like, I'm going to reprint the Numinous deck this year instead. <laughs> so yeah, I saw that was coming. Oh wow! So, so probably I would say probably next year, so 2022. It's really one Kickstarter is enough for me <laughs> mm-hmm. per year, and so I would I would say either really late this year, the way I released the Uncertain Oracle, or sometime next year okay well I'll be looking out for it <laughs> and um if anyone would like to check out your work obviously they can head to your website which is um, going to be in the show notes and also you have an Instagram account and a Patreon um where people can support you as well is there anywhere else that I should be directing people to that's just about it now the website's got the most information I'm very active on Instagram yeah, and also if people are based in the UK, then they can get your decks from uh, Little Red Tarot. They can, and I'm in the process of trying to restock the Threadbound Oracle and also stock the Uncertain Oracle um, with Little Red Tarot um, for the first time for, for for that deck. We're just in the in the process of the order. Okay, awesome. I'll look out for it. Thank you so much. It's been really, yeah, just great to talk to you, Cedar. Yeah, it's been wonderful. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Quiz & Co. I think there are only five left in the series, which I I just can't believe how quickly it's gone. And I feel really excited to share the episodes with you. And I'm also starting to think about series three and which guests I might like to invite to take part. If you have any guests in mind, anyone you'd particularly like to hear from, or perhaps you have a particular topic that you think it would be cool to discuss on the podcast, then please do get in touch. Even if it's yourself, you can recommend yourself to just drop me an email at gem at gemkennedy.com or you can head to Instagram and contact me on uh, the Gem Kennedy. I wanted to also give a really big shout out to Julia McGee Russell, who is a Quiz and Co member who has very kindly started a skill swap with me to transcribe the additional podcasts so a couple of episodes ago I essentially just was overloaded with admin and really couldn't get around to doing all of the podcast stuff so luckily Julia was uh, available to take on the rest of the transcription work and they're slowly working their way through the uh, last couple of episodes and obviously they'll be transcribing the future episodes of the series too so thank you so much for them and for their help I really appreciate it 
And I think that's all from me for today. I hope you all have a good week ahead and hopefully the sun will be shining. And don't forget to breathe and to look after yourself. See you soon. Bye.